I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One of the main things we like to talk about on The Best in the World with Richard Parr is finding out the routines of champions just before they compete. And very often we found out that the routine pretty much stays the same for a major Olympic final or a world final as it would for any other event. But this week on The Best in the World with Richard Parr, Julia Mancuso gives us an insight into how she slept and what she ate the night and the morning before she became the Olympic champion in the giant slalom at the 2006 Turin Games. You just won't believe exactly what she did when she became champion. In fact, she hasn't used that routine since, and I joke with her on this week's podcast that maybe that's what she needs to return to when she tries to go for a record fifth Olympic Games in Pyeongchang in February. All of that is coming up on this week's Best in the World with Richard Parr with Julia Mancuso. It's a really interesting chat. We talk about a whole range of things such as efficient training. We talk about journaling. We talk about neurokinetic pilates. And Julia's really good on the mental side of sport and having a positive attitude. So this is a really fantastic podcast with the skiing Olympic champion, Julia Mancuso. It's all coming up in just a moment. Just before we do that, I want to tell you about Audible. Audible is one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world. It's a product I personally use on my iPhone. You can also use it on a Kindle 
or on an MP3 player or on an Android phone. It's all available for you, Audible. And if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash best, you can try out their service for 30 days for free. That includes one free audiobook download. And they've got over 180,000 titles for you to choose from. So you can choose one of those books and listen and learn on the go. Maybe in the gym, maybe on the bus, on the train. Wherever you are, you can listen and learn with Audible. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. All right, we like to listen and learn on this podcast. And that's what we're going to do next with the Olympic skiing champion, Julia Mancuso. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. Julia Mancuso, welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr. So good to have you on the program. Of course, you are a complete world traveller. So, in fact, we've just been talking this about this off the air. Why don't you tell us uh, where you are in the world right now and what you've been up to at the moment? Um, yeah, so I'm in Maui where I spend a lot of my off season and I just got back here um, because my husband is living in Fiji. He works at Tavarua Resort, a surf resort in Fiji four months on, four months off. So we just got off of his stint and had a wedding and now I'm back in Maui and just kind of getting ready to go skiing in a couple weeks. Oh, congratulations on the wedding. Uh, What's your surfing like? Um, I'm, uh, I always say that I'm like a professional recreationalist, that I want to be the best at everything. And I think I'm really good in my mind, but, um, yeah, I've been surfing for a while, so I'm getting there. Um, but it's always a learning experience. I love doing things that challenge me and keep me on my toes and challenge not only my physical ability, but also my mind. And I think surfing does that for you. You have to learn how to read the ocean and it's just constantly challenging and it's it's a thing like a lot like skiing where you have to respect mother nature and right when you think that you're really good at it or you're getting the feel for it it will just like slap you in the face and tell you (laughs) nope stay humble (laughs) joking aside uh, with some of the processes and everything you've learned as a professional skier over over your long career do you think if you put your mind to something like surfing that you could get quite good quite quickly uh i think for sure you have to put the time in if you put your mind to it and you want to be good at something and you put the hours in for sure you can reach a level that um you know you can reach a level of proficiency and then reach a level of you know pushing your limits or being one of the best at it i just i think it's definitely a combination Mm. Uh, what's your husband's skiing like uh, he's just learning, actually, and he's doing pretty good. He, it's the same thing, though. Like, he was not really a snow person at all, and he started skiing last winter and can make it down the mountain, so it's a good start. He's doing really well. Oh, fantastic. So you're now working towards a, a record fifth Winter Olympics. How are you feeling? What's the preparation like at the moment? Um. Well, yeah, it's been really tough. I had hip surgery for the second time on my right hip about a year and a half ago now almost coming on to two years actually and it's been a challenge I think that it's definitely possible but right now I'm really just working on getting that range of motion back I have 
or I was born with hip dysplasia. So um, my hip sockets are really shallow. And whether I was born with that or I don't know, they have a lot of different theories on why athletes, I did gymnastics a lot as a child. And there's a lot of pros and cons to having dysplasia, you know, more range of motion, but also just a lot of wear and tear on the joint because there's so much more torque going in your hips. So um, I had really bad cartilage damage. This last surgery repaired that, had micro fractures, but I've been struggling since getting the range of motion back. So I've really just been trying to get my strength back and gain muscle again. A lot of part, a lot of my body is doing really well because I put so much time and energy and staying healthy uh, on like a whole level that really it's just my hip that's bothering me now that I'm trying to sort of rehab back so that I can get back on the slopes. Mm. Uh, having that hip injury through well uh, the hip problem throughout your career do you think it stopped you from winning even more um you know it's interesting because I was looking back at some journals you know I was always mentored to keep journals on what I train how I feel and I was sort of looking back on journal entries in 2004 2005 and I was dealing with my hip injury then, and I had journal entries saying, you know, okay, I took five runs today, high intensity, full length, and I was feeling really poor on the fifth run. Like, I started to break down, and, you know, I think it's probably best to take less runs. And so um, it was just an indication, you know, it's not – sometimes if you don't keep track of it, you think it's just in your mind, and you kind of forget that you're struggling with something – all these years and trying to overcome something all the time. And, um, you know, you kind of feel like, how did I get here in this day? What did I do something wrong? And I look back and I'm like, wow, I've really been struggling my whole career with this hip injury, but I've been able to control it. And I've, it's really made me stronger in a lot of other ways. So I would, I would say, yes, it kept me from really reaching the very top of my career and goals that I've wanted to achieve. But on the other hand, I think it's made me really, a stronger person and maybe a better athlete also because instead of just you know striving to be better at my strengths and always looking at improving things or just cruising because things were going well I was constantly searching and trying to find the best physical therapist and the best way to train and trying to be pain-free and decrease inflammation so um, yeah I mean as as everything in life it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. How would you cope when the injuries got really bad, and and not just the hip injury, any other injuries? What 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 was your attitude like during that time? Um. Well, death, injuries really bring the morale down a little bit. But mm. on the other side, I you know I've also been really lucky in my career to be really body aware and safe, and I've never had a crazy accident where I was injured during a crash while I'm racing. So. Um, in some ways, maybe it's kept me a little bit more aware of my situations all the time. And so even though I would have something that, you know, the injury kind of made me a little sad because, for example, it wouldn't let me go play drive. You know, everyone plays games after skiing and everyone would go play soccer. And some days I just wasn't able to run. And, you know, that made me kind of sad because I couldn't join the team activity. But it also made me, you know, look to other things to pass the time and be creative and also just be there in morale and it's just really taught me a lot about patience so um 
just taking care of injury is you have to be patient. And I think that it's also taught me that there's a lot more to be happy about in life. And like, I'm a really good cheerleader. So instead of just moping that I can't play the game, I'm perfectly fine sitting on the sideline and watching everyone have fun and be really happy for them. And, you know, maybe play goalie if that's something (laughs) I could do at the time. So just kind of look at the other side of things was how I did it. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I'm really interested about the journaling aspect at the moment, uh, mainly because we had the former canoe slalom Olympic gold medalist Joe Jacoby on the program uh, a few weeks ago. And I'm quite interested to to hear how that becomes part of your routine, how often you'd be journaling, how long you'd be doing, and, and were there any specific questions you'd be asking yourself each day? Uh, yeah, so journaling was always a struggle for me. I'm, I was never a huge fan of doing it because I'm like, oh, this is, I remember everything, you know, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I always thought, like, I don't want to write this down, but it's crazy how it's something that can be so useful years past. And I think that in the moment you're like, okay, if I write this down, like in two months, of course, I remember it. So I don't need to write it down. And it's really those years and, you know, even five years, 10 years later, where you look back and you're like, wow, I can learn so much from what I was doing. And it's hard to remember the specific details. So I would basically just write down, you know, how many runs I did, what sort of equipment I was using. And um, of course, I still don't do it because I'm, I'm always fighting, like, should I write this down? So I tend to only write things down when it's really important, because I know when I have a breakthrough, I want to be able to look back and I can really... Mm appreciate those notes that I've made and I definitely could take more notes but um yeah I would just kind of write what I did how I felt what was really important to me those days and um another thing that's really helped me when I struggle is I will journal the future really and just think positively I think positive mindset is so important and one thing that Um, I was really struggling with my equipment before the Sochi Olympics and I journaled every day talking about how much I appreciated my equipment, how it was perfect for me and how everything was going to be great that season. And, you know, I have to say it worked because I was able to get a medal at the Olympics when I was really not a medal contender and I was nowhere near my top form Mm. and journaling was able to get me over that mental hump or that mental stop sign thinking like everything's going terrible everything's going wrong and keeping me out of the negative self-talk and putting me in that state of mind that really got me to a place where you know no matter what this is what I'm doing and I'm going to believe in myself because you know my favorite quote is Henry Ford either believe you can or believe you can't either way you're right and I just really live by those words the best in the world podcast with Richard Parr. We'll be back with Julia in just a moment, but I just want to take this moment to tell you about the crowdfunding site Patreon. Yes, Patreon gives the opportunity to creators all across the world to get funding from patrons, and we've decided to put the best in the world with Richard Parr on Patreon. So it gives you the opportunity to give back to us if you like what we do. If you like learning from the very best sports people on the planet and you want to thank us for it, then you can do that 
using Patreon. All you've got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash best in the world. And there you can donate to our program for as little as $1 a month. Yes, that works out at about 25 cents an episode. So, for example, if you like this interview with Julia Mancuso and you want to help us with this podcast and you want to do it by donating as little as 25 cents, you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash best in the world. And thank you if you've done it already. We really appreciate your support. All right, let's return to the conversation with the Olympic skiing champion, Julia Mancuso. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. I want to talk a bit more about the the changing of the equipment. It is something that I actually had noted here. Um, And you've partly answered it already, but... Uh, the golfer Rory McIlroy a few years ago, he changed his clubs and he had some uh, Nike clubs, I believe. And he, he really struggled for the first six months, nearly a whole year, uh, nearly a whole season uh, with the change of clubs. Now, what is it about the changing of equipment, do you think, that made you struggle? Because, you know, there's the old saying, a good workman never blames his tools, but it's not as easy as that, is it? Um, yeah, it's so strange because with anything, you try something new and it feels really good at first, but then you can't really perfect it to how you want it. And I mean, in skiing, there's so many different things you can change in your equipment and there's different ways to ski. And, you know, the way I look at it, there's skiers out there that really have perfect equipment that complements their style and lets them do whatever they want. And then there's also equipment out there that anyone, if they put the right power and force into the right part of the turn, will ski really well and really fast. So, um, yeah, there's truth to both sayings, but there's definitely something that will help you more than others. And in some ways, if you, you know, for me, I changed equipment suppliers because I felt like, oh, that's the best. Everyone who's the best skis on that. And so I'm going to ski on it. And then the first year I did really well and I wanted more and they came out with a new model of boot and they didn't really make my size. I have a really small foot. And so I had a hard time going back to my older boot once I tried the new one, even though it was about a size too big for me. And so there's a lot of benefits to that because the bigger boot lets you glide really well. And the way that I felt precise on my edges was really good for gliding. And I was very fast if the hills were flatter I guess, in layman's term. So on flatter, you know, more subtle terrain, I was still really fast. But anytime it got a little steep pitch in it, my nervous system just didn't really understand where my body was because my foot is like wearing too big of a shoe. I couldn't really direct the equipment where I wanted to. And I had made this change in the summer and I couldn't go back. And I think the biggest mistake I made looking back on that is that I was like, oh, it's not working. And I started to freak out and change things more. So going back to where like, you know, you can use any equipment and it's more the person who's driving it is I shouldn't have started changing because when I started changing, I started confusing myself even more. And that's when I started journaling saying, look, this is what you're going to use. You're going to make it work because right now we need to make this work. There's no more changing. If you keep changing, you're going to like, 
you know, be running around in circles all season and never get anywhere. Like you can't get any more information. Once our ski season starts, it's competition after competition. There's not much time for training. And so, um, by having the equipment that wasn't quite dialed in, I had to just make a decision to not change anything and perfect my technique to work with it. And, um, you know, just sort of to expand on that, our season runs from December till March and we have all summer to dial in our equipment. So when we start training in the summer, which, you know, we'll have camps starting in May, well, we're, we'll go to the late season snow and then we'll start training in, you know, mid July, August, and we'll train about 50 to 60 days on snow in a summer. And those are all the days where everyone's out there tweaking their equipment, getting their new stuff, making sure everything's dialed in so that on race day, you know exactly what works in what condition and you can choose what you're going to race on and go from there. But you're not really, you're maybe testing a few things like if something new comes out, you might test it. Or if you think like, oh, I should tweak this a little, you might make really micro adjustments, but all of that testing and the equipment work happens in those 60 days in the summer where you have time to work through stuff. Mm. Okay. No, that's, that's really interesting. I I guess it, it, it comes to those like two parts of your mind, the one part of the mind where you don't have to think about anything. And then the other part, which is like getting confused. It's yeah, no, that's that, that kind of, a I forgot what Daniel Kahneman calls it like, uh, part one and part two of the mind or something. Anyway, um, you, you mentioned there about what you're doing in, in summer, but what, what is a, a, a typical day for you? What's a typical training day for you? And, and with that in mind, I, I know, you know, a lot about the, the mental side of things. I know you know a lot about the health side of things. So really intrigued to have a bit more idea of a, a, your routine on, on a typical day, please, Julia. Um, like a day when I'm skiing or just a dry land? Training uh, uh, give us okay. a little bit of an idea of both, if possible, please. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, for in dry land, for me, because I've had so many injuries, the most important thing for me is recovery. So I really focus on trying to minimize other distractions. And it's really hard for me. Those that know me know that I like to run a million miles an hour and I like <laughs> to do everything fun that's possible during the day. So <laughs> it's been a little bit harder to step back. And, and I really have appreciated the recovery and rest. And I I think a lot of research has been going into how important that really is. And efficient training is another thing that I'm really into now. So, um, yeah, basically a typical day for me is waking up and I, you know, pay, I pay a lot of attention to what I put in my body. So I'll wake up in the morning and the first thing I'll do is make mix together whatever concoction of the moment. So right now I'm taking a joint formula um, L-glutamine and magnesium and um, some, it's called uh, inflammazine. So basically just proteins to eat up any free radicals in my body and blood. Um, and also, what else am I putting in? I, lo- I like some maca root and greens powder. So I'll just mix together that in the morning and then drink that. And then I've also been really into the bulletproof coffee. So I make a coffee with butter and brain octane oil and mix that in the blender and have my coffee. Um, and then I will typically work out. So I have all the 
I I try to do like a semi fasting in the morning. So I'll have all that right when I wake up and then I'll go to the gym and um, depending on the day, it'll be, I, I do a three day blocks typically. So one day I'll do a circuit training workout in the morning. The next day I'll do a strength training and the next day I'll do a bike workout. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on what day it is and then eat breakfast, a late breakfast, and then I'll do physical therapy between breakfast and lunch and then I'll have lunch. And then in the afternoon I'll do some sort of recovery exercise, either swimming or spinning on the bike, um, or some more Pilates and movement exercises that I like to do. And that'll be a typical training day. So, um, I spend about four to six hours between training and physical therapy and then try to just relax. So that's the hardest part because I always want to go to the beach or hiking. And, um, right now I can't really walk that well because my hip, I'm still recovering, but, um, I really noticed the extracurricular or being in the elements. It's really nice to be outside and I love it, but it really takes a little bit more out of you. Mm. So recovery is really important for healing. And then I guess on a ski day, um, we typically wake up at sunrise so we can get on the hill as early as possible. Um, most of that's because either training space, it's really hard to get training space or just because you want to get as much possible out of the day. So wake up, take a bunch of like, you know, ski from probably like, you know, well, first I warm up. I always have to do my warm up, which takes about 45 minutes, just getting my muscles activated. I have a really good routine that I've learned through Pilates. So, um, I do neurokinetic Pilates, which basically connects your mind to all of your fascia lines called, it's, um, kind of based off the concept of anatomy trains. So we have all these different connections in our body and sometimes other connections want to fire harder and stronger than others. So it's really important to get them all activated, balanced, and Mm. especially with an injury, Um, for example, my knee or my hip on that side, you know, the, my quad tendon tends to try to do the work for my psoas. So I really try to, you know, warm up the psoas and activate and sort of tell my mind which muscles are supposed to be doing the job for the specific exercise. And I have some really specific exercises that teach my body how to do that. And then I'll, um, you know, go to the hill and ski all day. And then we'll typically come back, eat lunch. And then the afternoon will be some sort of physical therapy and exercise. So um, depending on the block, we'll either do a harder training where we're trying to incre- increase strength or um, aerobic fitness, or it'll be more of a recovery module where it's, you know, trying to find a pool and do a recovery exercise or trying to, um, you know, spin on the bike and let the lactic acid out. Mm, okay, no, really interesting. And what about on the day of competition of, of yeah, so a, a big competition, like, like in the Olympic Games? What's that like? What's your pre-race routine like? Uh, well, I think the biggest thing, like probably one of the best ways to be successful at a big event is to treat it like every other day and um just really make sure you tick all the boxes so don't miss any step and so for me that's making sure I wake up and have a really 
good warm up and then go to the hill and go through everything. And, um, you know, for me, big events bring a little bit more adrenaline. So I've always been able to focus more under intense pressure. And that's what I like about big events. It's not necessarily pressure. It's an opportunity to do better. But with saying that, I have to say that my uh, 2006 gold medal came with everything but the perfect morning. So <laughs> um, I was living in a trailer at the Olympic site because my sister and me, I like really wanted my sister to travel with me. She was applying to medical school and I was like, you know, I really want to travel in an RV so I can cook all my own food. I think you should come over and drive it for me. So she came and drove my RV and we traveled around Europe and we drove up to the Olympics in Torino and parked it right next to the Olympic village. And as most of you know, Italy, they don't have the best power there. So (laughs) we're, parked next to this building we're plugging into power and we keep tripping it so they cut us off and we don't get any power so then we're like filling this tiny diesel generator so we can power our little rv every like six hours we have to fill it with gas (sighs) and so the giant slalom race was one of the very last races at the olympics that year and we were just so every race was a disappointment i was doing so well in training and then i came down in the races like eighth and eighth again and i was like oh i thought that was gonna be finally my breakthrough and we're basically ready to leave on the morning of the giant slalom my sister goes out partying and she (laughs) like is fighting with bodie miller in the trailer next late at night like i don't even know there's some argument going on They had all got back from the club later. I wake up in the morning. She's like hung over on the couch. And I'm like, can you please? Like, I thought you were going to make me breakfast. She's like, whatever, eat this. Like, so I ate Pop-Tarts for dinner the night before. Woke up, ate all this like leftover oatmeal with, she cut grapes into it. I remember that specifically because I'm like, why are there grapes in my oatmeal? This is so weird. (laughs) And I run to the venue. I'm like, oh, I can't wait till we leave this place. It's just dumping snow. I think, like, for sure the race is going to be canceled. I go to the race venue. I forgot all my Olympic credentials. By this time, I knew all the Italian guys working at the security. So somehow I snuck into the Olympic venue without (laughs) my credentials, call my sister. I'm like, can you please come throw my credentials over the fence to me? Like, they're not going to let me up the next lift. (laughs) And... Somehow she like manages to get my credentials to me. And I'm like, oh, whatever. Like, I just want this to be over. I'm going up the lift and I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to like, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're just going to go. So basically um, just went for it and yeah, ended up with a gold medal. But that's kind of like <laughs> part of the philosophy also that comes down to like putting in the time and the work and the energy It doesn't necessarily have to be on the day you're doing it. It's all in preparation and it's all the mindset of knowing that when the time and the opportunity comes, you're going to perform and just constantly believing that you can. And, and the belief comes with the work. I mean, all athletes spend so much time and energy when they're off the hill or off the track or wherever they're performing, they put in blood, sweat, tears, their whole life into that and they wouldn't do it if they didn't believe that they could achieve the top of their sport or you know their gold medal whatever it is they want to achieve it's really the time and energy that we put into it that is a testament to our belief and is where you can shine and thrive so I know that when I'm doing everything I 
know I need to do and everything I spend all that time and energy and doing and making my body just really be the best it can possibly be. That's, that's my belief. And that's the energy putting in that I know that I can really win. Mm. So in South Korea, if there is an RV just outside the Olympic (laughs) village, will that be you and your sister? (laughs) Yeah, I'm just gonna try to do everything wrong again. (laughs) Then it'll come out right. (laughs) But seriously, it's like the older you get, the more you really think too hard and try too hard. And of course, that's why the younger athletes are always coming up. And we have experience going for us as veteran athletes. But Um, There's something really special about just shutting your mind off when it comes to that pinnacle moment to where you're able to just let your body be what it's supposed to be and do what it's supposed to do. And, um, you know, training and preparation, that's where it all pays off. And so there's so much to be said about doing the right thing and, you know, um, training the right way, but it's just a culmination of that when you get into the moment when you're standing, like for skiing, when you're standing in the start gate, it's it's a gravity sport. There's so many things that can happen and you have to memorize your run and focus and you know you have someone else preparing your skis and so when you're standing in the start gate, you really just have to be free and let your body and your soul really just do what it needs to do and the people who end up making mistakes and actually failing like all of the athletes that I've talked spoken to that you know you talk to and you're like well I never achieved that because I was so you know it was so much pressure on that day I wasn't able to rise to the pressure it's because they let their mind kind of take over too much I think so I really believe you have to put in the hours of training and put in all the work beside that one day and when you get to the day that you're meant to perform there's something about just letting another thing take over and bring you to the finish line. Mm. And, and hopefully we'll see you in South Korea and, and hopefully we'll see you on the podium. Have you thought about life after skiing, after competing? Um, I've thought a lot about life. I think it'll be a lot less stressful. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I know I'll still enjoy skiing and yeah, I'm really looking forward to this last push to try to make it to South Korea and be there on the podium would be, you know, incredible. But at this point, just really making it there is really going to be a dream goal in itself. So, um, yeah, injuries are tough, but life has so many beautiful things to offer. I'm excited for my life after skiing and um, I'm just really thankful for sport. It's brought me so many great things, which I'm constantly reminded the best thing that sport has ever brought me is one of my best friends who's British, Shemi Alcott. You know, she's a huge part of my life, and I'm so thankful. If I didn't win any medals, I would be really grateful to at least have her in my life from skiing. Mm, fantastic. Yeah, I think she's from my part of the world. I think she's from the Brighton area. So, oh, cool. yeah, pretty cool. Well, it's been really good to speak to you, Julia. Thank you so much for being on today's program. Just before you go, can you let us know where we can find you online or on social media so we can continue to follow your journey up to hopefully the Winter Olympics and beyond, please? Um, yeah, so my Instagram and Twitter and Facebook's really easy. It's all my name at Julia Mancuso or at Julia Mancuso USA for Facebook. So, yeah, happy to chat to anyone who reaches out. Perfect. I'm always well, checking out 
<laughs> Wonderful. Well, we'll put the links to that on the uh, podcast description page as well. Julie Mancuso, thank you so much for being on the program and thank you for being the best in the world. Well, thank you. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Really good chat there with Julia Mancuso, but we've had lots of other winter sports stars on the program. Johnny Mosley was on recently. He's an Olympic champion in the Moguls. We've also had Charlotte Caller, a cross-country skiing Olympic champion. We've also had Kelly Clark, the snowboarder on. We've also had Gretchen Blyler, another snowboarder. Nicola Tost is also a snowboarder. We've had so many amazing winter sports stars and more are coming soon. Yes, we will be having more winter sports champions on the best in the world with Richard Park coming soon to this podcast. So you do not want to miss any of them so to make sure you do not miss any of them just click that subscribe button if you're listening to us on itunes and also regularly check sportachino.com and acast acast.com forward slash best and if you're subscribed already on itunes thank you very much and if you haven't already please give us a rating and review it really does matter a lot i would really appreciate it if you could do that for us on the best in the world with Richard Parr. All right, we will have another champion. They'll either be an Olympic champion or a world champion or a world record holder or a world number one, and they will be giving us the keys to the castle. They will be giving us the clues of what made them a champion so we can be better in our everyday lives or in our own sporting ambitions. You do not want to miss it. We'll be back next week, but until then, goodbye for now. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.